Good afternoon. Welcome back. Uh, today is Friday, the 19th of November 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, uh, Patrick Henningsen, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by Alex Thompson, bringing us a little bit of Eastern approaches from the Netherlands. Now, uh, what's happening in the country? What sort of leader have we got? Let's take a little look at our illustrious Prime Minister Boris Johnson and see in full uh, colour video what sort of man he is. It's going around on social media. You brought up the national treasure, Sir David Attenborough. And there you all were in the plenary. He's 95 years old. He was wearing masks and you weren't. It's all over the place. Right. I, 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 you weren't wearing a mask yesterday, sitting next to 95-year-old national treasure David Attenborough. Right. I've been, I've been, you know, wearing a mask when in confined spaces with people that I don't uh, normally meet, and I think it's up to people to take a judgment about whether they're, whether they're, you know, at a reasonable distance from uh, from someone, and uh, whether they're with someone they don't normally meet. That's what. That's what. That's the the approach we take in our. Uh, well, Patrick, I, I watched that. I've watched it several times. Um, public schoolboy caught with his hand in the sweetie shop, in the tuck shop, headmaster chastising himself, uh, chastising him. Uh, but this man is not capable of making policy in this country. Uh, this, is, this is a puppet. Why is he squirming? Because the whole of the policy around masks and the COVID lockdown is false. And he's been caught by the fact that it's a web of lies. Is that... Is that somewhere in the bracket? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 vaudeville, it's vaudeville uh, political style. I think uh, Carrie's losing her influence there. Carrie Ann, uh, Boris is normally on the ball with all of those sort of. But she was unkind. Those to woke cues there, but Christine Amanpour was, was was unkind. Yes, the interview from CNN. Okay, do we get any uh, confidence out of our Prime Minister Boris Johnson? We don't. But what is he the puppet for? I think you're moving us on to the serious subject of vaccine passports. Well, on, on Wednesday, we, we talked about Big Pharma's Anschluss, uh, this sort of segregated lockdown. In other words, the unvaccinated are going to be uh, held under lockdown in Austria. Uh, this is a policy that Germany is certainly uh, ready to implement, as we'll show you. Uh, it's being almost implemented in the Czech Republic and, uh, and other countries around the world. Yeah. So let's just get started and take a look at where things are at. Things have developed considerably, even in the last couple of days. So this is effectively medical apartheid. Let's not uh, mince words. Now, in Australia, this is in the Victoria state here. The Guardian is just positively giddy about the prospect of this. Victoria is removing most of its COVID restrictions, but for the fully vaccinated people only. What are the new freedoms for Melbourne and regional Victoria? Notice how they frame that. And look at this. This is what the Guardian are saying here. People can have unlimited visitors to homes, don't need to wear a mask, and can even dance in nightclubs, but only, uh, but not if they are unvaccinated. And they can see right at the end, the important part, Brian, see our guide to the new coronavirus rules. So what the Guardian is effectively is a mouthpiece for, for government. Policy. For, yeah. and, and not just for the British government, for, for governments all around the world who are basically all uh, having the same ubiquitous policy on this, which is effectively medical apartheid. So you think a journalistic outlet would be pushing back against it. But no, they are they're actually part of the driving force 
of this. This is what mainstream media are doing. And there's a reason for that, which we'll show you in a couple of minutes. Yeah, and what we're going to be coming on to really is that we've now got these two very clear sides. We've got the mainstream government policy, world government policy, propaganda center versus social media. And they're getting very frightened that social media is clearly beginning to take over the narrative. They are, but they're also clamping down at the same time and heavily on censorship on social media as well. But uh, just over to Germany. Now, you can tell the Germans are taking this uh, seriously, ready to implement. Look at this. Germany police are now arresting 12 fake COVID vaccine passport raids. So they're already coming down on uh, fake, what they call fake vaccine passports or forgeries. So this tells you that they are getting ready to implement this nationwide. Yeah. And there are allegedly there's 12 million people in Germany. I think that's hugely underestimated number who are unvaccinated and they will effectively be held under house arrest and be allowed to go out for either essential work or uh, to emergency medical or to shop for food and two hours of exercise. What I'm, I'm not sure what the policy will be, but it's very similar to what has been rolled out in Austria. Yeah. and also in, in Australia as well. And just to emphasize this point, we are seeing policy coming out in all similar policy coming out in a range of different countries. So this is a global policy that's coming in. Who's global behind it? Well, we've got the World Health Organization. We've got the World Economic Forum. We've got Bill and Melinda Gates operating on a uh, transnational basis. This is globalist policy. It must be. This is this is a global coup, is what it is. And somehow uh, this uh, elite uh, confab has been able to penetrate uh, into government, uh, working through corporations and working through major institutions and, yeah. and huge multi-billion-dollar endowments like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the mainstream media are an instrument of this coup. Make no mistake about it. So uh, just over to the Czech Republic here, and this is a consent factory, that's CJ Hopkins. And what he's saying here, reports coming out the Czech Republic will join Austria and possibly Germany in banning political dissidents, the unvaccinated who refuse to conform to the new official ideology uh, from society. That's right, kids, new normalism is on the march. He's got a picture there uh, from uh, 1930s Nazi Germany. Uh, and so in the Czech Republic, let's just look at this. This is just uh, last night. This is from social media. So there's already some protests already brewing in anticipation of this policy coming in. So the people in the Czech Republic are well aware yeah. that what the government... But we're not, we're not getting a hint of this via mainstream news in the United Kingdom. There's, a, there's, a, there's basically a wall of silence to protest in other countries as far as the BBC and The Guardian. Yeah, and as you said, you have yeah. to go to social media to find any yeah. hint of dissent because you won't see it in the corporate media. Yeah. But closer to home, Brian, here's here's the really important story today. Northern Ireland, uh, the UK, Northern Ireland, up in Northern Ireland, mandatory vaccine passports, medical apartheid approved in Northern Ireland, despite uh, objections by the DUP. So uh, some people might find that unusual uh, that the DUP is the one who are pushing back against other political parties and Sinn Féin and so forth. You know, so the, the traditional left seems to have abandoned this whole concept of civil liberties, yep. which is interesting how this is flipped. And, and I'm going to say in a minute, we're going to be talking about Nadine Doris. And uh, this is also mentioned that as far as she's concerned, it's the left that's taking over. A lot of people yeah. will agree with yeah. that, 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 that is the case. And so here's what the BBC are saying. 
the DUP calls uh, passport plan a distraction dish. And so there's a, there's a number of news reports uh, about this. And so, but very overall, Brian, very little pushback. And a lot of people who were just saying just a, a couple of weeks ago, oh, isn't it horrible what it's like down south? And now they've implemented very near the same policies yeah. in, in Northern Ireland here. And there's the justice minister, this is Naomi Long, and she voted in favor of vaccine passports in Northern Ireland and to, to keep uh, Northern Ireland healthy and safe. So, My question, Pat, is always, does she actually believe her own rhetoric? Is she so naive that she thinks that she's building a structure which is going to keep people safe? Doesn't, doesn't she see the prison coming with it? It's hard to know what, they think, what they're thinking uh, right now. Uh, Brian, I want to go to Alex on this. Alex, what do you make of this this strange uh, this strange political configuration around this issue of vaccine passports? It sort of goes against the grain of what we might find traditional left and uh, right wing positions on some of these things. That's absolutely right, Pat. But Northern Ireland, for those who've been watching it since the Troubles, uh, has uh, an almost irredeemable twist to its politics because of the sectarian problems it's had for decades. And what this has done has captured people in camps. So if you are even a moderate and cultured Irish nationalist, not even a, a Republican prone to supporting violence, you were told you belonged in the left wing bracket. And if you were uh, supportive of the union, even if you were quite socialistic and trade union minded in your politics, you were told you had to vote for unionist parties, which then as now in the so-called post troubles have gone with the normally conservative party administration in Westminster. And uh, confidence and supply uh, arrangements, basically unofficial coalitions have kept that going. In fact, just yesterday, a Dutchman asked me, uh, as usual with Dutchman, he said what's happening in England when he meant the United Kingdom, but it was very pertinent. He said, how do you explain, Alex, that now England has suddenly got a laxer COVID regime than the continent of uh, Europe? And uh, I replied to that in terms and said, you're quite right, it's England that's laxer because the main la layer uh, of globalist policy since the new Labour era in the United Kingdom has been the devolved administrations. And of course, the plan was for England to be split up into nine regions, which would be implementing the same uh, equivalent uh, globalist policy. Uh, due in no small measure, I think, to Brian's reporting on the corruption and common purpose takeover of these English regional assemblies, no government left or right has dared take them any further. And this has bought time. I think we can quite frankly say now that England is out of kilter with the rest of the UK and with most of its neighbours in the EU, precisely because there are no regional level assemblies to bring through this level of hackery. And the closing thought is, of course, that as you were suggesting, Pat, even uh, more powerful now than the sectarian divide or the no, no longer applicable left-right divide is the question of whether you're with the globalists who bring you to power or not. As soon as you occupy a seat in Stormont, in the Doyle, anywhere else in any of the European jurisdictions, it seems the dominant note is, are you with the people or with the globalists? All other uh, political considerations appear to be chaffed by comparison. That's right. A very good point. You know, the left-right paradigm is... Uh increasingly redundant, Brian, and it's more of a question of uh, top and bottom now, with the power on the top pushing down. Power on the top pushing down, but if we remember what uh, the political charity Common Purpose said its objective was to fill the space between 
politics between the MPs and people. So they realised that the public no longer trusted the MPs. So that democratic engagement, that was gone. And into that space came Common Purpose with its future leaders. And that was how, I call it a Trojan horse, that, that was how the policy was spread through. So I think Alex absolutely on the button with that one. Yeah, and, and very similar to the future uh, leaders of, from the World Economic Forum, and they're dotted around various national yeah, uh, governments. Yeah, place people, people in position to help smooth the path for this globalist agenda. That's, yeah, That's right. So back to Northern Ireland. Now, the most disturbing part about this is just when the economies, Brian, are recovering uh, from, we have a, a, tw a tweet here that sort of sums this up, just recovering from the economic crash uh, from lockdowns, this bad news happens uh, here uh, in the country. And so we go here, uh, perfect, perfectly timed to uh, on the mouth of Christmas. So all those businesses lose out on the biggest money month of the year. Uh, those still blind to this are nothing more than mindless drones. Uh, this is from Twitter here. And then moving on, uh, another good commenter here. This is Rick Munn, no risk, no reward. The only thing vaccine passports will do, they will have uh, have been tragically introduced in Northern Ireland or anywhere else, is to kill business. He's absolutely yeah. correct there. Yeah. And for those that had pushed for this and those who support this, what goes around comes around. Enjoy your victory while it lasts. So fighting words there. Now, he's a very uh, canny commentator and somebody that I also follow on social media. And he releases videos periodically about the situation, how yep. lockdowns are in general. Let's just uh, listen to this video. This is uh, Northern Ireland. He's talking about Northern Ireland and the implementation this week of this new vaccine passport regime. This is Rick Munn. Let's listen to this. Well, well, well. Surprise, surprise. Apartheid, discrimination, and segregation is making a return to Northern Ireland. A dark day, a dark day in our country today. A dark day. What's so bad, you might think? What's happened? Well, from the end of November, with a 14-day so-called grace period into the middle of December. People who have not received vaccinations, in inverted commas, against COVID, in inverted commas, won't be allowed into restaurants, bars, etc. I don't have the time. I don't have enough time to go into this in any detail. And I can't say the things that I want to say on this platform. But it's a dark day. And if you're thinking, well, that's too bad for you guys, but we're okay. Listen, I've been saying this since nine months ago, February, whatever it was. This starts and spreads like a cancer. If it's not in your town today, it's on its way. We've been the same. We've been looking over the border into the south for a long time now going, that's too bad. They've got medical discrimination, vaccine passports, but it's not so bad up here. Well, today it's coming. And if you're in England, Scotland, Wales, it's coming. Germany, Austria, it's there. New Zealand, Australia, Canada, it's there. New York, it's there. It is spreading and it won't stop unless it is dealt with. 
I'm going to stop there. So a powerful video clip, Patrick, and this is the sort of clip that the state is desperately frightened of because there is a man giving a heartfelt plea for people to wake up to what's happening. He realizes the danger. He's using Twitter to get that message across. And what does the British state say? What does the international globalist uh, regime say? We've got to crush so social media to stop these reports coming through. You're calling it extremist speech. Extremist, or yeah. Hate speech, the anti-vaxxers and so forth. So the big question is, and what Alex alluded to before, was when is this coming? Is this going to come to England? Yeah. Is the same policy coming to England? And uh, so uh, we have this uh, evening standard here, uh, COVID-19, uh, would an Austria-style uh, lockdown work uh, in the UK? And uh, so, I don't know, Alex, uh, what do you think? On this. I thought, first of all, that it was telling that the London-specific paper, The Evening Standard, which reflects the wokery that seems to sell papers in Greater London, decided to quote first those dubious officials of SAGE and then the even more dubious Devi Sridhar, the alleged academic in Edinburgh, uh, as the cheerleaders for this policy. And this article came out just hours before the newly parachuted in Chancellor of Austria, the former Foreign Minister Alexander Schallenberg, announced that there is, I think, the world's first, or certainly the West and the EU's first uh, general population vaccine mandate coming in on the 1st of February. Ergo, if the London mainstream press or the nationwide press is already saying as of yesterday, we jolly well ought to copy Austria, you know the experts tell us so. If they were saying that yesterday, then today, at least in theory, they are approving, if not cheerleading, the introduction of holding people down and jabbing them in Britain. And, and not only that, that, that speaks also to what's happening in Australia. You know, uh, Gladys Berejiklian, before she was ousted, she said, we need an 85% vaccine rate yep. in the population. And the new government is now inferring that that should be 95%. What is going on? Okay, so they- It's they, a dictatorship. They but it's very clear what's going on. They keep raising the bar and they will not stop uh, until it's, a, it's absolutely 100%. And, uh, all, you know, what are they going to do with any dissenters? Are they just going to be- uh, treated well, as lepers in yes. society. But if, if you think about it, if the government can simply say, I am going to inject into your body whatever I choose, and you have no say in it, it is a very short step is that, well, the government decides that your body is not worth being on the planet, so you're going to be disappeared. This is where it follows. Let's have a look at, at where the policy comes from. This is one of the key things. And we want to jump back here to the G7 and encourage people to have a look at this document. It's the 100 days mission. Uh, let's have a look at uh, who's involved with this. So we've got our, our old friend, Sir Patrick Valance. And uh, what about the good looking lady there? Do you recognize her at all, Pat? She, she is. She's single and ready to mingle as <laughs> well, Recently, Brian. recently yes. single. Yeah. So um, Melinda Gates. Melinda French Gates. Uh, what are we talking about with this thing here? Well, let's have a look. The G7 countries uh, have a crucial role to play with a major uh, stake in international health system, a wealth of scientific expertise and the resources to support the, quote, strengthening of health systems around the globe, health systems around the globe. In February 2021, the UK Prime Minister, uh, have we just seen him? Remarkable fellow. The UK Prime Minister challenged the G7 to explore how we can 
harness scientific innovation and strengthen public and private collaboration as fusion, if Mike Robinson was here, uh, to reduce the time from discovery to deployment of diagnostics, therapeutics and vaccines in, in a future health crisis. And the bit we need to also pay attention to is that in response, an independent group, the Pandemic Preparedness Partnership has been set up. So now we've got this globalist uh, partnership helping to drive this in. We just put a little bit more of the page on screen. Uh, the key bit I wanted to show the audience is that we've actually got wet signatures on this document for Sir Patrick Valance next to Melinda French Gates. Um, quali qualifications are what? of uh, this lady. Her, her qualifications are a substantial, Brian. She was a, in the marketing department at Microsoft. That's where she met Bill. And uh, she got married to Bill. And the rest is history, Brian. I mean, who can so, argue with that resume? So Bill's qualifications are money. Uh, yes, Bill. Yes, Bill doesn't actually have any actual higher education degrees. Um, right. He has a lot of honorary right. degrees. Right. So, so, so we have um, lady married into well, married a wealthy man, yeah. no expertise, now signing documents next to Sir Patrick Valance. This is very and she's interesting. Not, and she's not elected to anything. She's not elected never, at all. So happened. what comes out of that sort of uh, globalist policy? Well, let's have a look at this organisation, the Commission on Human Medicines. We've got vaccines coming in. We know there are a raft of vaccine adverse reactions. Uh, people need to know about the Commission on Human Medicines. Uh, because it advises ministers on the safety, efficacy, and quality of medicine, uh, medicinal products. So many people focused on the MHRA, but we need actually to focus in on this organization because this is where the power base is for the so-called control of safety of vaccines. And what does the Commission on Human Medicines do? Well, it runs a raft of what are called EAGs, expert advisory groups. Let's call some of them up on the screen. We can't give many of them. There's a lot, but uh, there's uh, pediatric medicines. Uh, there's pharmacovigilance. We'll come on to that. There's opioids, expert working group. There's so many working groups and so many people involved that this is completely opaque. If you said who is actually in control, what are their business interests, what are their private interests, you can't actually see because there's so many of them. So challenge for UK column audience, get onto that uh, commission website, have a look at the people, start to have a delve into their backgrounds, let's see what they're really involved with. Uh, but this caught my attention because remarkably, uh, we've got a pandemic, but there is no patient and public engagement expert advisory group. The Commission on Human Medicines is in the process of identifying a replacement. So really unfortunate, just as you should start engaging with the public, the body to do that uh, isn't there. Do you think that's a coincidence? No, but you have a very dense uh, bureaucracy, Brian, or, or technocracy. Uh, opaque that you have to navigate through if you really want to find out what's going on and who can actually do that that's the question well previously nobody could do it because nobody could see the pond uh, but now we're in the position of starting to understand the pond so i'm going to say i think we can have a look through but uh, let's put it in simple terms and uh, bring in a uk column wiring diagram again this is uh, what's actually going on 
The real authority for the vaccine safety is the Commission on Human Medicines. They hide in the background. It's never talked about. Uh, we confuse the responsibility by all these organisations of safety. That's all done under pharmacovigilance. And they hide in a web of these expert advisory groups with too many people. We brainwash the public to believe that it's the MHRA is the overall vaccine safety authority, but actually they're just a puppet of that Commission for Human Medicines. Uh, the MHRA actually works to uh, protect the whole of the vaccine and the pharmaceutical industry. If you read their documentation, we can see they're not there for the best interest of the public. They're helping big pharma. So they launch a multi-million uh, campaign with a yellow card database. They spend money on the latest AI systems to log vaccine adverse reactions under yellow card. But they don't actually publicize the yellow card system. Why is that, Patrick? Well, in my book, it's so that the minimum number of vaccine adverse effects are going to be recorded. Uh, they then fail to investigate the ones that are recorded. And uh, then they make a claim that the adverse effects they have recorded under the yellow card system are not actually connected to vaccines at all. This is very clever stuff, credit where it's due. And that the benefits uh, outweigh, outweigh any risks. Well, there you are. We've just brought it in on screen. And of course, you were head of the, head of the game. Uh, they provide no risk assessments. They provide no evidence that vaccines are safe and the benefits outweigh the risks. And if we bring the centre bit in, effectively, they're misleading the public. The vaccinations are safe. And while they're doing that, they are supporting the vaccine industry. Alex, just very quickly, because uh, we've got a lot of material to go through today. Um, this is a scam, but it's becoming visible. Oh, very much so. Um, it's just that in the clear, cold light of the uh, internet age, it's becoming more apparent how the scam is run. In the past, we only had newspaper headlines and the soothing tones of BBC radio news and then TV news saying that Mr X and Miss Y had assured the public that everything was fine. But now we can see the raw data feeds. And thanks to the likes of Mike Robinson and others who are committed to data crunching, we can see the emperor has no clothes on. Uh, well, the emperor has no clothes. We'll be showing her in a minute, but uh, luckily with some clothes. Uh, let's bring in this one, because what is the MHRA up to? Well, they're up to big plans, uh, global plans. Uh, but I've picked this one from PM Live here. It says MHRA outline, outlines its two-year delivery plan with a patient-first focus. So there's that lie again that they're focused on people and what's happening to them. And um, it says that uh, it's got a new delivery plan because we've left the European Union. Uh, this is the sort of thing that June Rain has been saying. Our response to the COVID-19 pandemic is proof positive that we can rise to the challenges with fresh thinking and innovative approaches, fulfilling our responsibilities to patients first uh, and foremost, as outlined in the Independent Medicine, Medicines and Medical Devices Safety Review and, quote, opening up the many opportunities now that the UK has left the EU with real benefit to the brilliant UK life sciences industry and to healthcare. 
your twitching, Pat. Life sciences. Do you know what that actually means, Brian? I think I do, but you come in here. Because... That's an industry uh, euphemism for the pharmaceutical industry. Indeed, they yeah. call it the life sciences industry. It sounds great, doesn't it? Because that's got a nice sort of touchy feeling. It sounds like it's biological and it's, it's organic and everything. It's Let's great. bring the emperor in fully dressed again. Here she is. Uh, this plan is our response to these challenges and more. We have shown that we can not only excel under pressure and in exceptional circumstances, but also where we can take, quote, direct action to support and protect patients and improve health outcomes. Well, we're absolutely challenging June Rain on this because she's produced no evidence whatsoever. Is she protecting people? We don't think so. Uh, just to have a little bit of a sideways uh, swipe, she's certainly not protecting animals because this is some of the data uh, released on the number of animals that are going through these pharma labs. And uh, as always, when I look at these and I see the monkeys being used, this is a very, very cruel system, but thousands of animals going through. Um, but the front for us, the human beings, is this sort of thing. So this is the Commission on Human Medicines and their unaccountable expert advisory groups. This is the thing which our audience has got to remember. Don't be distracted by the MHRA. That's just the propaganda machine. Behind the scenes, we've got to look at this Commission on Human Medicines. Uh, this is where the buck stops. And I'm going to say that next week, we're going to be digging uh, deeper into what's actually going on with the uh, MHRA yellow card system. So we'll just uh, say this, we're putting words in her mouth, but essentially, despite uh, June Rain's claims that the MHR, uh, despite her claims, the MHRA has produced no evidence to demonstrate yellow card vaccine adverse reactions are not linked. We do not see any statistics, any forensic report, nothing. And she also claims, of course, that they have investigated every yellow card adverse reaction death. And we know from the relatives of people who have died that that is absolutely untrue. So we're going to say very dangerous, um, misleading information coming out from the UK government. And next week, we are going to really take the top off how the MHRA is working and why it is making these uh, claims which are clearly untrue. And what we'll show you is, uh, is very much like the VAERS system in the United States, the amount of reports that are coming in that's also proportionate to the amount of people vaccinated, of course, is overwhelming the system. But you cannot deny the total numbers. The total numbers are just incredible. Uh, and certainly it, it, it should be a, a place for pause uh, for what's going on. And I might, on your animal comment, Brian, I would say that the amount of uh, animals used uh, for experimentation now pales into comparison with the general human population, uh, which is effectively under one giant experimental clinical trial right now under the emergency use no author question of this. authorization. No so, question. But let, let's take a look at some of those total numbers, uh, Brian. Uh, and this, these are sort of the latest, or sort of the latest numbers from the UK, from the United States, and from from Europe in terms of adverse reactions and deaths. Let's take a, take a look at these three. Uh, major systems here. Uh, and so we're going to take a look at the data. And so this is VAERS, UJRA Vigilance, and UK Yellow Card. Uh, this is MHRA Yellow Card data. This is as of November 
3rd, uh, 2021, 1,768 deaths, 1,200,000 plus adverse events. This is CDC uh, running the VAR system in the U.S. November 14th, uh, 18,461 deaths uh, either associated with or as a result of the vaccine. Obviously, as we'll show you in a minute, you got to drill a little bit deeper to get some context for that. But adverse re reactions, look at this, Brian, 970 thousand. And I might remind people that they shut down the swine flu vaccine uh, in 1976 after a couple of dozen uh, cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome and some uh, deaths as a result of that vaccine. That's in the United States. Yep. So look at these numbers now. I mean, it dwarfs anything that anybody has ever seen. Could we just emphasize a point? If the scientific analysis, the risk assessment was there, to prove that these adverse effects that have been recorded uh, were untrue. If that evidence existed, we would not have a leg to stand on because we'd have to put forward a document where it clearly showed that although these adverse effects had unfortunately happened, no, no, they're not connected with the, with the vaccine. So the key bit is no forensic risk assessment and and investigation into the data. And, and I might add, there was an academic paper published, Brian, that says that there's a very small percentage of what you see in these reporting systems as opposed to what's actually existing out in the population. Yeah, this it's underreported. Massively, and this yeah. has been shown in uh, peer-reviewed work. And here's uh, the European Medicines Agency in the bottom here, UDRA Vigilance. Uh, this is from October 19th. This is data up until the 19th of October. 28,103 deaths uh, associated to, linked, or caused by COVID vaccines. Adverse reactions events here, 2,637,000 plus there. That's from last month, Brian. Yeah. So, I mean, you add these in the aggregate, these are, that's just the US, the EU, and the UK. This is not the whole planet, okay? So this is just a snapshot, just on its own. Even if a small percentage, even if like 20% of these numbers have to do uh, directly as a result of the COVID-19 vaccine, you have a massive problem. And so what's happening is people are, the media is caught, caught on to this because the data uh, is now available publicly. And as Alex said, it's being you know uh, scrutinized by people online, on social media, uh, individuals out there, investigative journalists and so forth. So now they're coming out with a lot of propaganda to say, oh, the VAERS system, it's uh, it's unreliable. Anybody can fill in a VAERS well, and, and MHRA has done this about the yellow card system. It is actually admitted that the yellow card vaccine adverse reaction database is in error. We've got documents say that. So well, look, you, it, they, they can say that, but the numbers don't lie. The bulk of the numbers are compelling. We've got a video here, and this will just put, put this into perspective, this whole idea of reporting uh, adverse reaction events yeah. and deaths as a result of vaccines. And these are a few high-profile individuals from the United States, some of whom we, you will recognize because they've been on this program. Uh, we've featured them before, but let's, let's take a look at this video on theirs. You didn't realize there's like 14,000 reports of deaths now in America. And I'm shocked to find like your average, you know, person now is saying things like, well, theirs is unreliable because it's, it's, it's you know, um, it's, it's just reported by anybody. It can be anybody at home reporting to it. Um, you know, they, they don't really do anything uh, to verify it. And so it's unreliable. You know, there are data 
from the pediatric literature a few years ago, do you know how many VAERS reports are actually done by the patient or the family members? 14%. 86% of the time, it's the doctor, like me, who cares, nurses or other healthcare personnel, and then occasionally the pharmaceutical companies who know that this could be a problem, okay? It's not this wishy-washy system that they're making it out to be. It, it, it's, it should be respected, and we've used it for many years. Why all of a sudden is it considered, you know, it was considered fine before, and now all of a sudden it's a wishy-washy system. It's right. kind of crazy. Well, it happens to be the only one it is the only designed one. by mm -hmm. the CDC that runs our entire, you know, health system in America. So if you have a problem with it, you should complain to CDC, and especially since it's the capture system that we are all being forced to use when you made an emergency use authorization and turned our entire population to a test group. You I report everything to VAERS. When I report it to VAERS, it says warning, false reporting, punishable by imprisonment or federal fine. What's your name, doctor? What's your ID number? What's your, I mean, talk about the, the, what's reported in VAERS is as real as it can be. Yeah, that, and that shows shows the conundrum that one hand, the data is not going in, certainly in the UK, because a lot of people do not know about the uh, yellow card vaccine adverse reaction system. Um, then the data's in and then suddenly uh, we've had people screaming in the UK that, that malicious anti-vaxxers have been putting false reports in. This is outrageous. Yeah, no, the, outrageous. Those those accusations are usually ungrounded, and yeah. they're, they're they're you know they don't yeah. amount to much. But they're they're basically to they want to discredit uh, any big numbers that are appearing on these systems, and they don't want people to look into those. They don't want to scrutinize those. Certainly, they don't want to investigate all yeah. of this and and draw the the kind of correlations that a lot of people think are there. So the fact checkers, Brian, the fact checkers are all over this. And so you see a lot of these articles here. Sorry, uh, we'll go yeah. back. Yeah, this is AFP. Uh, and so adverse reactions data proves COVID vaccines are unsafe. Misleading, says the AFP fact checker. I mean, there's a whole bevy of these. Who is actually behind these fact checking organizations? Uh, it's, it, what is so, um, <laughs> I, I'm lost for the word, but this is so wrong because, of course, they are supposed to be checking their own adverse reaction data so that we will know they do not check it. And then they may simply come out with these fact checkers trying to turn uh, false information into truth. Just very quickly, Alex, uh, more and more I use the term Soviet to describe what's going on here. But, but this blatant misuse of data, I think blatant misuse of data within UK is reminiscent of the Soviet system. I think we might have just lost him as I invited Alex back on screen. Never mind. We'll so we'll be able to reconnect uh, Alex in yeah. a second, hopefully. Yeah. But um, just, uh, you know, so I went and checked this out. You now, AFP's uh, basically talking about uh, Vigi access. And this is, uh, oh, we've got Alex back. Yeah, okay, very briefly, Alex. Um, we are seeing a Soviet establish itself in UK. Boris Johnson, uh, he's not bright enough to do this. He's simply following the instructions. This is a dictatorship coming in. I've lost your video. Are you muted? No, we've still still got no sound. We're, as usual, we have a few gremlins operating. This is because we haven't got Mike Robinson's uh, well, well, hopefully, <laughs> and we'll, on the system, we'll sort that out. Uh, yeah, okay. Shortly. Let's but move let, on. Let's just uh, look at Vigi Access. So this is uh, Vigi Access is from the World 
health uh, organization. This is their sort of uh, database here online, very much like uh, VAERS and Yellow Card and so forth. But this is- Let's just so, pop this on screen, Pat, because- I mean, Yeah, there need, it is. Yeah, uh, yeah here's Vigi Access. So this is, this is run by uh, Uppsala uh, Monitoring and also the World Health Organization. And so, you know, I just took a look, take a look at this, Brian, and it's a very opaque system. It's hard to get anything out of here, uh, let alone analyze and put anything into context. Let's just take a look at this system here. So what I did, I went up into the search bar uh, there and I uh, put in COVID-19 uh, uh, vaccine uh, in, the, in the current slide. Uh, and so, and what comes up, I, this hopefully this, well, this isn't, uh, the video is not playing, but that's okay. I think we're going on screen. On screen, uh, okay. There it is. Yeah. yeah. So we're seeing it there. Um, it will be good to go. But anyway, you can see all of the uh, different drugs and adverse reactions from all the different drugs there listed on that database there. And but th this is what they're saying uh, in terms of the the fact checkers saying these figures do not suggest that the COVID-19 vaccines are unsafe, nor does the comparison of different pharmaceuticals provide any information about their relative safety compared to anything else. And here's the quote of the, of the year uh, here, Brian. Uh, a side effect report does not equal a real side effect. Well, that might be the case. Yes, there might be more context needed, but you cannot deny, we're talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of reports just in the last two years yeah after the COVID vaccine. Well, you, I'm here jumping up and down because this is just so in your face. You set up multi-million dollar pound systems to record vaccine adverse reactions. You get not a few thousand or tens of thousands, you get millions of reactions. And then you calmly keep repeating this mantra. There is no link between the, the vaccine adverse reactions and vaccines but there's no investigation in order to make that claim. They're safe and effective. We, they, they keep telling us. So who is funding all these fact checkers, Brian? That's the big question. And we have to just remind people, we covered this on the UK column last year. Uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are funding not only mainstream media outlets, but also the fact, fact checkers, checkers yeah. as well. Facebook is also funding fact checkers. So the same people that are involved in either the vaccine industry, like Bill Gates, or who are involved in the mass global censorship, like Facebook, like Twitter, and like these social media, Google, and so forth, they're funding these same fact checkers. So what you're seeing is a global censorship regime and a total control of the media. So the press is literally, literally bought and paid for. How much are they bought and paid for, Brian? Well, look at this. Bill Gates, the best money I've ever spent. Oh, what's this? pandemic payoff, Bill Gates injects 319 million into mainstream media outlets. What outlets are we talking about? Well, let's just take a look here uh, about who's on this list. It's quite an impressive uh, list as well. Uh, so let's just take a look at that. Uh, I'm not sure if we can get uh, this, but the, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's going here. So if we scroll down, this is Mint Press News. This is Alan McLeod, great report here. This has got incredible traction. Oh, we've got the BBC, NPR, CNN, Al Jazeera, The Atlantic. Uh, just pretty much it's a who's who, Brian, of mainstream media outlets here. And we'll go down a little further. I mean, it's pretty much everybody. Vox Media as well. So all of the people that you see parroting these talking points, they're all getting cash. Yeah, and if they take the money, they take the control because 
Sure. You you want that money? You're going to do the bidding of the uh, person with a purse, aren't you? And how does Bill Gates get a carte blanche access to mainstream media? He's he's wall to wall coverage. He gets fawning interviews every time, and this is why. And so this goes even further. We're talking about uh, organizations here, Education Writers Association, uh, people like this, uh, the National Press Foundation. So he's even funding the sort of trade associations yeah. of of the media here. And Johns Hopkins University, of course, at Teachers College. So on the educational side, he's got that covered with money as well. This guy has incredible power and influence over shaping the global narrative, Brian. It's undeniable. And he's unaccountable. He's unelected and he's absolutely unaccountable. And he is giving marching orders to people like uh, Chris Witte, Boris Johnson, our chief sage, et cetera. He's flying in here. They will answer his call. Maybe before Joe Biden calls. Okay, Bill Gates take us will, on through. Bill Gates will get the call. So uh, this is his latest project here. He's talking about the next pandemic. So he's warning about a smallpox terror attack. And so he's seeking research funds. So he wants to basically uh, scrape a few more billion off of the government expenditures from different countries to put into a new smallpox uh, terrorism slush fund or a biological terror uh, slush fund. Let's take a look. We've got a video here, and this is Jeremy Hunt. I- imagine that Jeremy Hunt is interviewing Bill Gates, a sitting MP, is interviewing Bill Gates in the policy exchange <laughs> think tank. Uh, so let's just take a look. It pretty much explains to you where he's at with his project. And who's got the control? Yes, yes. Let's watch this. And are we doing things now? Or rather, are we not doing things now that we really need to be doing in preparation for the next pandemic? Yeah, so it was 2015 that I gave the uh, TED Talk and wrote a number of papers uh, titled, We're Not Ready uh, for the Next Pandemic. And sadly, that was uh, a better forecast of what would happen than uh, anyone would have wished for. You know, the economic damage, the, you know, the deaths, it's been completely horrific. And I would expect that will lead the R&D budgets to be focused on things we didn't have today. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmissions. We need a new, a new way of doing the vaccines. We didn't get... And so I'm hoping in five years I can write a book called, you know, we are ready for the next pandemic, but it'll take tens of billions in R&D that the U.S. and the U.K. will be part of that. It'll take probably about a billion a year for a pandemic task force at the WHO level, which is doing the surveillance and actually doing what I call germ games, where you practice, you say, okay, what if... Uh, a bioterrorist brought smallpox to 10 airports, you know, how would the world respond to that? Uh, you know, that there's NAFTA really caused epidemics and bioterrorism caused epidemics that could even be way worse than what we experience today. And yet, so you'd think this would be a priority. It, it, the next year will be where those allocations have to get made, including this global um, pandemic task force. The nice thing is a lot of the R&D we need to do to be ready for the next pandemic are things like making vaccines cheap, having big factories, uh, eradicating the flu, getting rid of the common cold, making vaccines just a little patch you put on your arm. 
things that will be incredibly beneficial even in the years when we don't have pandemics. So, uh, you know, along with the climate message and the uh, ongoing fight against disease of the poor, the pandemic preparedness is something I'll be talking about a lot. And I, I think it'll find fertile ground because, you know, we lost trillions of dollars and millions of lives. And, you know, government, citizens expect their governments not to let that happen again. So I, I find that difficult to watch because, of course, he doesn't have those qualifications. I believe those are no, that was, that was spurious. That was a, a little black humor from us that this man's totally unqualified to be talking about all this. All, he, all he's got is money. Does he care about people? Alex, just as a quick check that you're back with us, uh, just give us your opinion of what's happening here. Very short. Well, uh, the, the true horror of it reaches me and sickens me because 15 years ago, I was one of the people drafted onto an expertise team for chemical, biological, radiological and nuclear uh, intelligence uh, across intelligence team at GCHQ. And we spent most of our time duly reporting to Port and Down, as did the other Five Eyes agencies, humans, uh, human and signals agencies, uh, reporting what terrorists and proliferators around the world knew and were telling each other about the likely success of hitting people with this or that virus or bacteria. Now it's horribly clear that this is simply a repeat of what we know has happened with the Five Eyes signals intelligence data, the call collection. Uh, it's all gone into a private pot. It's all been hived off the back end and sent to a bunch of, of ne'er-do-wells who wants to run their own intelligence operations, um, independent of government. So that's, I'm afraid, what's happening is, is Gates is the front end, the spokesman for a group of private interests that has hoovered up everything every nefarious group in the world knows about how to whack people with biological attacks and then do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, this this exactly this, this brings us to the World Health Organization. This is a report uh, called the Dark Winter. You can just go to the WHO's website. You'll be able to find this. And this was published uh, in the 2000s. Smallpox, bioterrorism, and the WHO. And the drill we're talking about here, Brian, is the Dark Winter. And there's videos online where you can watch this. Very much like Event 201, basically a simulation, including the media reporting and everything. Same type of package as event 201, which makes me really kind of worried because that happened right before the COVID crisis. Just a coincidence. Just a coincidence. So uh, are, are they doing a rehearsal for this? Is this what Bill Gates is alluding to? Uh, and mind you, there doesn't have to actually be a smallpox um, outbreak. It can also be manufactured through various uh, yeah. smoke and mirrors of the world of PCR testing and uh, all sorts of media coverage, hype and hysteria, okay? yeah. But uh, so this is an interesting quote, 1999, uh, if used as a biological weapon, smallpox represents a serious threat to civilian populations uh, because of its case fatality rate of 30% or more. Although smallpox has long been feared as the most devastating of all infectious diseases, it potentially uh, for devastation today is far greater than any previous time. Well, how can they actually say that when it's actually more or less non-existent? And, and in fact, smallpox left the building, Brian, before the mass vaccination. Yeah. Uh, so these came people in. know something is going to happen. We're just pointing this out for people to pay attention to. Go read the document for yourself uh, up on the WHO's website and uh, find as much information as you yeah. can. All right. Thank you. Well, let's move on. If you like what the uh, UK column is doing, 
uh, then we are grateful for your support. And if you're not already a member and you join up, of course, you can join into uh, UK Columns uh, community organization. Uh, please share what we're doing on as many platforms as you can. And uh, we're also just going to remind people that if you want to protect your health, then of course, what better way than to stop those winter chills with a UK column hoodie. And uh, also a really big thank you for the way that uh, the David Noakes fundraiser is going. Remember, David tried to help people with cancer uh, by the medium of GC Math. The MHRA put him in prison. Uh, meanwhile, the MHRA doing all the things we've discussed in the previous part of the news. Uh, total for David is now over 26,000 and climbing. This is amazing. And somebody put in a very generous £1,000 donation over the last uh, 48 hours. So a big uh, thank you for that. Now, just a quick run through, <coughs> excuse me, some of the um, emails into the UK column. This one says, I've always watched with interest the show. Fabulous. I always learn something new and are ever grateful for the immense work you all do. I was most in agreement with the comment about state total control. I grew up at a time where this simply did not feature in my life. And I wonder what the lives of young people will look like in the 2025s. I would not be schooling my children at all if they were school age. What they learn from school is not worth a carrot anymore. They even have to watch the BBC at school. A reason, excuse me, <coughs> a reason to stop going at all, if you ask me. We have a solution for that, which we'll hopefully show you at the end of the program. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And uh, we've got this one here. Uh, no, uh, we've lost Alex, so I'm just going to keep going through. But of course, uh, we lost um, a British F-35 that crashed into the Mediterranean a couple of days ago. Luckily, the pilot ejected. Um, he was returned on board the uh, aircraft carrier uh, HMS Queen Elizabeth. So that was a hundred million pounds worth of aircraft gone. Well, but, it's not the, gone. It's at the bottom of the med, Brian. And they're very worried in case those Russians come in in order to recover it before Salvage we do. It, yeah. So big battle now under the water. Uh, but what else have we had in? Well, we had some comments on the Liverpool bombing. We do this very quickly. They are of interest. The person mentioned in the viewer's email as being suspiciously able to film the taxi before the bend went off. We suggested that somebody said, how could you actually get these image images? People close to the hospital telling us now that they're very confident the images did come from one of the hospital's uh, CCTV screens. Uh, but if we run through it here, they've got some questions. The taxi was going much faster than for a normal taxi drop off. Uh, what are the chances that a device would randomly go off exactly when the vehicle stops? Well, you could say the bloke activated it, but why would he activate it if he had if he hadn't got to his target? So I'm back. Oh, uh, you're back. Uh, Alex, we're watching the clock very closely. So if you want to just take us through the last of this bit, please do. Well, you've read what's on screen very well. And I think that we have another viewer's email either here or later yeah. on. Uh, yeah. Here it is. Yes. This is from a completely separate viewer, both of whom are very high quality viewers with uh, an excellent track record as researchers for us. The second viewer says the entrance to the relevant part of Liverpool Women's Hospital has a barrier and it only allows access to ambulances for dropping off patients and to disabled drivers. And she says the same as the first viewer noted. So how a taxi could just drive in at that speed is questionable. 
Uh, I put that out there because I think two independent good researchers is uh, corroborating each other is enough to go on. And I do wonder whether Pat off the top of his head knows of alleged false flags in the US or elsewhere where a vehicle approaching a supposedly guarded uh, premises at speed was part of the, what didn't add up. Uh, I, I, off the top of my head, I couldn't name anyone specifically, Alex, but I, th I would probably guess that there would probably be more than a few, uh, to, to, to put it lightly. And this does remind well, me of the Glasgow airport uh, uh, incident a couple of years ago as well. It's sort of eerily familiar to that. Yeah. And the other information we've had in, we, we, can't, we can't say this is factual and correct, but it's be, uh, being suggested uh, that the driver is actually, the taxi driver himself has been held in hospital at the moment, and he's not able to talk to people. He is known to many local people. So it's very clear that the taxi driver at least can be verified that he is a taxi driver. He's known to local people. What he actually said about the person in the back of the vehicle, we're waiting for full information about. But let's move on. Another email here into the uh, column, if we can pop this one up on screen. Now, we're switching uh, target here to the NHS and the elderly. This is a lady who has... Um, uh, worked in the NHS, trained by the NHS. Uh, this is the wife in question. My wife had a very insightful thought last night, which I have to share for you. She underwent some training last year prior to the first lockdown, and she witnessed firsthand the pressures and chaos in a NHS acute ward at that time. Most patients were elderly stroke victims, and there was intense pressure to move them to care homes in order to, quote, free up beds before the expected onslaught of the pandemic. And they go on to say her light bulb moment last night was that the sacking of care workers in November is a very well considered strategic move by the government. In the winter season, respiratory dis diseases and strokes presumably will peak amongst the elderly and the hospitals will not be able to discharge them into the care homes due to the lack of staff. That's it, that, that right there is a major point, Brian. Yeah. Beds in the hospitals remain filled and the pressure will ramp up dramatically as others in the population suffer from the effects of winter bugs, pneumonia, sorry, pneumonia and vaccine adverse effects. And uh, finally, um, uh, with the delayed April sacking of unvaccinated NHS staff, the government will be off the hook with regards to NHS resources and the true reason for the pressure will be recognised too late, if at all. Perhaps we're a bit slow in seeing how strategic the government is being in artificially creating this pressure. And you're already aware of this. Apologies if this is so. In any case, please, would you highlight this and alert people to this in your news? I think this is really important communication in from viewers. People now um, putting their own analysis on what's happening. And of course, if you married to somebody working in the NHS or you've got friends who are doctors, this is on the spot information. But let's think about that with elderly people and bring this up on screen. I have had a number of emails. I've spoken to people directly who've witnessed some of this. Uh, but this person talking about people collapsing in the crowd at football games, just in case you find this useful, even though strictly hearsay, but I believe the source, my optician, um, is talking about another patient who regularly goes to football matches, Chelsea, had told him that every match spectators are collapsing the last time he saw eight 
and they're being carried out, though we know nothing is reported. This has never happened before, and certainly I do not recall it ever, even though my football watching was then standing rather than all the seating as now. Now, I've had these reports from a number of people, Patrick, so uh, I think we should take them seriously. And this dovetails perfectly with the concert in America recently, Brian, where there's reports of this in Houston uh, that there, and people collapsing, in fact, people dying and so forth. So the pro reports have been yeah. mixed at some of these big events, but I have also heard this uh, in relation to other big events as yeah. well. And again, nothing reported. So, uh, so if the NHS, if Public Health England put out a forensic report demonstrating that these people had collapsed, no connection with vaccines at all, uh, we would be quite happy and we will, of course, publish that information. But that information is not available. And, and uh, quickly, I might just add, if you take a group of 100,000 people anywhere, a football stadium, a festival, a concert, out of 100,000 people, if they required, for instance, vaccinations, double jabs to be able to enter that event, out of that 100,000 or 50,000, the odds are, Brian, statistically, that you will have people within that group very possibly that would suffer from an adverse yeah. reaction. If their blood pressure was raised, the stress level's high, they've been drinking, whatever, taking drugs or whatever you do at, at concerts and, and football games yes, these yeah. days, I have no idea. But <laughs> I'm sure they have a few pints and yeah. things get a bit rowdy. Adverse reactions, it's not out of the realms of possibility, just yeah. by the numbers. Yeah, indeed. Now I'm gonna throw this one in because it's come from a viewer as well. Uh, this is the British Medical Journal. And um, a question's come in dated the, this is uh, the 17th of November 2020, but the viewer had seen this and thought we should be aware of it. And uh, basically a retired GP is saying, what regulatory framework and safeguards are in place to ensure that private companies carrying out PCR tests are, quote, not able to access individuals' personal genomic information that's one question, and who owns the data? So it's clear that people who are medically trained have also uh, been very suspicious about what's happening uh, when you are giving bodily uh, fluids as samples to these private companies. Yeah, so this is a British Medical Journal, and this was in, this was last year. Yeah, it? this is back in November last year, but, but our viewer saw this and thought it was interesting. And, and, that, I think, and that's a credible publication indeed. as well. So I mean, if it's appearing in here, it means that it's a serious question. Yeah. Well, let's have a look at where we're going to go if we dare to actually challenge the uh, government's narrative. So uh, we brought in this BBC headline. It's Nadine Dorries, the Culture Secretary. She says that the social media has been hijacked. Now, my label on this lady is that she's too isolated from the real world. She's too ignorant and uh, she's clearly a very big fan of Boris. She's never going to understand what's really coming and the danger of her own online harms bill. And of course, it's her own Mike Robinson that has been warning and warning and warning people about the real risks to the UK public from that online harms bill. Let's have a look at what she said. Uh, she said, people have become afraid to say what they think about, uh, sorry, people have become afraid to say what they think for fear of being cancelled. She means, she means blocked and cancelled out over social media. And here it is. We mentioned this at the start of the, the news. Left wing activists 
of hijacked social media. Well, I suppose it's a change from right-wing activists and Christians. Far right, yeah. yeah. So um, this is what she uh, said. She went on, online campaigns are frightening young people who actually want to engage in serious debate. So if you set up and you start to tell young people the truth over social media, you're frightening them. It's not only that, uh, you know, so she's talking about that maybe the, the radical trans lobby or all these various other identity politics groups and so forth. But who's really hijacked social media, Brian? And it's not, it's actually not any of the activists as much as it is the, the corporations that are actually censoring speech. It's and, the corporations, but also the, the government departments now who, who push out their propaganda over social media. And who are telling <laughs> social media companies who to cancel. Yeah. They're giving them hit lists. Let's follow through on this. We've got a bit more here from her. Uh, negative reaction to her own new role, she says, is misogynistic. People are making these comments for po political attack and nothing else. So she got really upset when people uh, had a, a few words to say about her. But her intray includes deciding whether to privatise Channel 4, introducing a law protecting young people uh, from harms online. That's the danger coming in. And she's also there going to be in control of the BBC, the biggest propaganda machine the world has ever seen. And uh, if we want to know how the BBC does it, I took this screenshot of the BBC news page early this morning. Uh, bottom left, let's bring her in in pink. Uh, there's the lovely lady. Um, but if we went to have a look at their story list, uh, oh dear, suddenly the BBC is so excited about this story. The same story appears twice on one page, and there's only one reason for this, uh, if I can bring that in. Uh, the propaganda machine is so frightened of the power of social media, they stumble over themselves to uh, bring in that story twice. I thought that was rather lovely of the BBC. And uh, we then get to this sort of thing, the mirror. Tory ministers draw up unconscionable plan to send desperate migrants uh, back to Albania. Now, is this true or, false or fake news? Uh, just because it's a mainstream newspaper, it's important for us to know. And Alex... You're talking about at a, at a cost of 100,000 per migrant, right? Yeah. yeah. People coming across the channel, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the, the Times has also covered this. I chose the mirror. Uh, but we're going to bring in Alex here because um, uh, fake news is going to be a crime, Alex, I think in Greece at least. It is, Brian, and I think the next slide uh, gives the details, but uh, my records here is that the revision has been taken place to Article 191 of Greece's Criminal Code. It's being picked up by Human Rights Watch, a largely respected NGO. People can freeze the screen if they want the fine print of it. Uh, I point out that the second paragraph there says that it's a misdemeanor. For those unfamiliar with how criminal codes are split, this sounds like it's not a felony, so it's less serious. So perhaps the Greeks aren't being as fascist as they could be. But of course, the flip side of that is that misdemeanors have lower evidentiary standards and looser procedural requirements than felony trials and felony charges. So it's easier to get people in the on the hook for them. Uh, the text doesn't define what fake news is, Brian, and your equivalents in Greece, the editors of the new media, uh, could be punished by five years in jail for going against the government line. Alex, if I can, sorry to cut across you there, but I think we can be confident that the UK's own online harms bill is going to attempt to do the exact Exactly the same thing. If you dare 
publicly criticize the government, you can be uh, brought into court and put in, in jail. That is the Soviet system. Uh, that's obviously going to be coming into more discussion next year in 2022. Well, they say if you're undermining democratic institutions and confidence yeah. in democracy, that could be government criticism, right? Yeah, so this is the UK Soviet, but of course we're seeing it in other countries. So we know that the Soviet system, this communitarian system is, is a globalist system. And that brings us back to your earlier comments, Alex, that we've got to look at where the money's coming from and where the corporations are getting involved. Uh, but take us on through, because I think this next one here is uh, you're going to get no protection, even if you're legally trained yourself. Correct. Uh, one of Greece's leading titles uh, in English here, ikathimerini.com, is reporting that in the first week of operation of the amended Article 191 in Greece's criminal code, uh, a lawyer has already been arrested for a post. Nikos Antoniadis was for, uh, was, uh, had a for, uh, case file, that's, that's posh speak for screenshots of his social media posts, filed against him by the police's cybercrime division, very sexy new part of uh, the legal system in most Western countries. And these screenshots were then fed through to the Athens Public Prosecutor, which is running point on these prosecutions. I note that the uh, amended text of the Greek law says that undermining the national confidence in the national economy or the defence capacity or public health of the nation. So basically all the things that the EU allow intelligence to be done to protect, all of those are now uh, covered areas. Um, just regarding Nadine Doris, I think it's interesting that last time I was back in Britain, I had lunch in her constituency with my parents and one of my parents' uh, oldest friends, a completely apolitical retired lady. And I asked her how she thought uh, her new constituency MP was doing in her ministerial role. And she nearly choked on her fish and spent a minute doubled up in laughter. But I suppose that just means that my mother and uh, other ladies who lunch in mid-Bedfordshire are misogynists, according to Mrs. Doris herself. Uh, would appear so. now. Um, if you dare challenge the government, you're guilty of fake news. Uh, let's get on, get, come back in on that uh, Albania story. Um, this is your slide. You've picked up on, on the Times, but uh, what's it saying here? Albania's Times splash fury. Tell us more. Guido Fawkes has a sub-brand, Media Guido. I know Guido is not everyone's cup of tea as a blogger, but it's documentary evidence this time. So the ambassador of Albania to the court of St. James has got completely fed up here. So uh, Chiriako Tirko, the ambassador in London, rejected in writing all the claims in the newspaper of records write-up of the piece you just featured in the mirror version, and he went personally, this is very unprecedented for diplomats to do this, he must have been really riled, personally went for the integrity of Tom Newton Dunn, uh, because of course uh, it's one of the one of the new principles in international law uh, with migrants and asylum seekers is non-refoulement, which means you can't just uh, send people into a, another bucket and, and tip them into a, a third country. Uh, you have to deal with them yourself uh, in international law. So he calls this a lack of professionalism and slightly uh, un, uh, undesirable English here, biasness. Okay, we understand he wrote this in a hurry and didn't get the English check. So that's another sign that he really wrote it in the heat of the moment and adds to the genuineness. If you tap that again, you see that Albania's foreign minister, I believe foreign ministers of most countries have Wikipedia articles for journalists who are short of pressed for time, but uh, Albania's foreign minister, Olta Jachka, 
reports uh, in her, on her own Twitter feed, uh, annoyance at the same story. And what really got her goat is that the Times is Tom Newton done with whatever research budgets available to the Times, uh, or even just the ability, ability to check Wikipedia, uh, got her sex wrong. Uh, Alta is a woman's name, uh, as people might even guess from the form of it if they don't speak Albanian, but Alta Jachka became he uh, in the Times' report. Perhaps that's more misogyny and a okay. bare assumption that foreign ministers tend to be chaps. Uh, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought the Times was a newspaper of record. It was so outstanding that its its reports could be taken as factually correct and used in all circumstances. Um, it, newspaper of record. It was a newspaper of record. It was, but we noticed about a decade ago that with the switch to online primacy in reporting, that the Times uh, was making very few of its articles uh, free to view. And the whole point of this was that only those in Whitehall and uh, the public machinery of, uh, or the, 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 the policy making machinery would get their subscriptions paid for and would get the feed put through to them. And we saw through the integrity initiative debacle that actually only they were being told what was in the Times. Uh, the rest of the public weren't interested in buying the rag anymore. So it kept its status, but the journalism was hollowed out. And sometimes stuff is... Uh, trailed in the Times. Uh, it's run up the flagpole, as they sometimes say in the PR world, to see who salutes it. And it's positively undesirable for the plebs to read what's in it at that stage. So I think this may be another example of it being in the Times because the intended audience was policymakers to give, be given the assurance, don't worry, chaps, we have a, a way out of this migrant crisis. I've always said it's the internal newsletter of the deep state, uh, Brian, hidden behind a paywall as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Alex, and uh, I think this next uh, one, you're back on talking Germany again. RND, Redaktionsnetzwerk Deutschland, is quite mainstream in Germany. It's quarter owned by the Social Democratic Party, whose uh, vice chancellor, Olaf Schulz, is about to be tipped to take over from the uh, outgoing chancellor, Angela Merkel. Here, if you tap again, I've translated this headline. Uh, Could the police be taking people to the jab doctor? Question mark how mandatory vaccination might be introduced. Bear in mind, this is before Austria's announcement of yesterday. Uh, and you can see that the headlines, uh, or the, the subheaders are on screen there, uh, but that's actually backed up for once by the interview itself. So the next slide shows the journalist giving his uh, introduction. Oh, sorry, before that, we have uh, Germans, uh, Germany's Olaf Scholz, whom I just mentioned, saying that uh, biting measures or austere measures will have to be taken to get through the winter. And uh, he explains that uh, some of these, I think there's another tap on that screen. Um, oh, yeah, here we are. We go, we go straight through to Sven Christian Schultz in the piece I showed first. Uh, he writes in his uh, uh, write-up of his interview with the constitutional lawyer in question that in purely legal terms, mandatory vaccination might even be compellingly necessary in the opinion of constitutional law authority, Christian Pestalozzo. The aim here is to, again, with The Times, the House Journal of the Deep State, it's to pressure the Bundestag members who read this stuff into thinking, oh dear, I'd better not fall behind the curve. I had better vote for any forced uh, jab measures and not, not concern my pretty little head with ideas of inalienable rights and bodily integrity. So whom, uh, who did he interview for this uh, piece? Uh, Mr. Schultz, here not to be confused with the vice chancellor of the same name. He interviewed Christian Petzalotza, but this gentleman is quite grand. He is actually Graf or Count Albert Rudolf Christian von Pestalozzi, a retired professor of constitutional law at the Free University of Berlin. My translation of his quotations in the piece are, should the minor measures, yes, you heard him right, Klein in, in German, the small or minor measures taken thus far to remedy the pandemic prove insufficient, 
Politicians, he claims, are actually obliged by constitutional law, honest gov, believe me, to take harsher measures such as mandatory vaccination. He goes on in his countly style. Granted, any such law could end up being challenged in the constitutional court. That's the, basically the sacred body of German democracy in Karlsruhe. But he adds, politicians must not plead inability for fear of such a law mandating jabs being struck down in court. So do it, boys. Do it anyway, Bundestag. Final quotation from him. Here's where the schizophrenia really shows up. He says, forced treatment should be considered as a last resort. Uh, I'm sure Austrians, Austrians are watching this with, with care, know that it's gone, that, that's, that's set further that by the 1st of February, Austrians will be mandated to have the jabs. He says that would mean police carting people off to the jab doctor. But don't worry, because he ends his comments by saying things should never reach such a pitch in a democracy, though. After all, Count von Pestalozza is not a politician. He, he's just a respectable, apolitical professor of constitutional law serving out his retirement, you understand. Uh, Alex, I, I, I'm always staggered by these individuals that just don't seem to look out the window and see what's actually happening in society. And they think they're isolated for what's actually coming in. Um, while we're just discussing this, I'm just going to uh, um, move through some slides. But why are these people so naive, do you think? What is it about these people that means that they can't see the reality of the beast now emerging from the wings? I suppose if you want to take a cross-jurisdictional approach, it is because they kid themselves that they are um, indispensable because the beast always needs people whom it can wheel on and claim are not part of it, its own mechanisms. And therefore they think there'll always be a space for talking heads, constitutional law people, the Devi Sridhars of the world in so-called public health academia. Uh, and so they perhaps fancy that, uh, that they're such useful well, perhaps they might even accept uh, to themselves that they are useful idiots for the system, but they might think, well, I'm so useful to keep the plebs in order because they think, oh, he's, in, he's independent, she's not part of the government, that they'll never come for me. Um, look to the past, I would say. Uh, we are talking Germany and Austria after all, need I say more? Yeah. Well, we've just got a couple of uh, amusing slides to finish off with. We need to raise the mood because we've certainly covered some pretty serious ground today. Uh, we're back on social media, actually. And this one's yours, Alex, where there's been a little bit of a, a, a spat over the NHS and Javid, Sajid Javid. Britain's uh, former Deutsche Bank um, health secretary, uh, although in practice he's only England's because of the four nations policy these days, got either personally or in the form of a PA, although it's someone using an iPhone at 10pm at night, so possibly Javid himself in those circumstances, got very riled with a self-described libertarian on Twitter who tagged him. Uh, David Atherton asked, from our world-beating NHS, in, in ironic quotation marks, I went for my third jab today, previously having had two Pfizer ones. They were only using Moderna vaccines. What is happening, Sajid Javid? And Rajavid, perhaps uh, annoyed by the, uh, the rude acronym used for what, replies personally, or allows a, a PA to do so, so what? How about you show some respect for the NHS? Full stop on what should have a question mark. Um, I don't know what's worse, gentlemen, there, whether, whether it is in fact himself getting teed off or, or somebody unsuitable controlling the Twitter account on his behalf. 
Uh, okay, well, look, um, I'll just bring this one in. We've got a couple to go. I want to show these because we can make people smile a bit. We're Financial Times, is that a newspaper record? Must be. Uh, how widespread is COVID in animals and what are the risks to humans? And of course, we've we've had a poor doggy with COVID reported in the papers recently. So, uh, Alex, this is terrible. We've got to be frightened of our animals now because they may be vicious spreaders of, of COVID. Well, I won't bother the uh, audience with the bilge in the FT piece itself. It's even more along the same model as the Times, that you have to be a great and good subscriber to read its content. Uh, but I was particularly interested in what uh, a gentleman calling himself Barry Beige on the FT site said in response. He says, we need to urgently test, trace and vaccinate all wildlife. We must act with haste to avoid a disaster amongst all emerging wildlife. However, once achieved, we then need to keep them well away from all human populations by imposing severe freedom of movement restrictions on said reservoir beasts and avoiding all interaction with nature. Only then can we emerge from this pandemic in a more controlled and safer world for us humans. It is a tough job, but I have every confidence our politicians and bureaucrats can achieve this provided they do regular press briefings and provide important consultancy work in their spare time. It is about time restrictions on gatherings for small rodents and non-free-range chickens was introduced anyway, I say. Uh, 83 people liked it and a gentleman or lady calling themselves Dumbledore's army replied, the worrying thing is, Barry, some people won't even recognise this is sarcasm. They'll think it's all necessary. Well, perhaps not in the general population, but among the readership of the FT quite possibly, uh, given the number of midwits who, uh, who are in the ranks of FT readers. OK, Alex, but we're going to say we understand the humour and uh, much appreciate it. I'm just going to uh, uh, cover this slide for you because you've been talking about the good work of people in uh, Gibraltar. This is Freedom Gibraltar. Uh, if we can, excuse me, pop this one up on screen. And uh, um, Freedom Gibraltar would like to extend their thanks to the officers of the Royal Gibraltar Police who escorted the procession in the true spirit of community policing show great cooperation with the protesters, with a positive and professional attitude, something that's been sorely missed. So this is really great when we see police men and women behaving like human beings. Uh, we'd like to say to people in Gibraltar, if you'd like to tell us what's really happening on the streets, do email us, uh, ring, write, text, however you do it, but we'd like more information from the street. And uh, what's this one here that we've got? I'm afraid we may have to ask some viewers to move away, Alex, because this image is, uh, which you'll see shortly, is really very challenging indeed. Ervan Le Corre reports yesterday, it's a couple of days ago, at the Atlantic Council, we reported on this earlier, the Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla received the 2021 Distinguished Leadership Awards from Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the EU Commission, with whom, of course, she's in a very important business contractual relationship. Isn't this maskless moment so cute? And he reminds us the EU is buying 1.8 billion with a B doses from Pfizer at about $20 US a dose. Here is the image of the cuddle between uh, Albert Bourla and uh, Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, you're hesitating on the button, Brian. Well, I, I, yes, because I think this may cause distress to some people, but let's have a look at the clinch. Here it is. And I just want to say that, my goodness, it's nearly tongues involved, Patrick, in this. And she is clasping his, crisp, his crystal ball at the same time. And she is wearing a dress and not a pantsuit, Brian, which uh, yeah. it means it's a very special occasion. She wants to impress 
yeah. CEO of Pfizer. No face masks, no tongues, but a big crystal ball in a hot, sticky hand. Someone's holding a, someone's a ball there, a, a crystal ball or something. Yeah. Uh, well, she's probably going to go off and do a little bit of uh, country. And let's end on this one. Uh, what have you got to say? tell us on this one? Well, our uh, viewers are always saying, Brian, that we're always talking about problems and it's always negative. Why don't you talk about solutions? So we thought we'd just kick off uh, our new solutions uh, watch uh, at the end of this program. And so here's a solution. This was sent, no joke, this was sent by a friend. So I blocked Sky News and the BBC News at my mom's house using parental controls. Now she keeps calling me and saying she can't watch the news. This is how we save the UK. Yeah, they are. This is technology at its best, isn't it, Patrick? We can do something. You can use parental controls, not just for your kids, but also for your parents and grandparents as well. If everybody does that, I think this will go a long way to people getting their sanity back. Well, this is good. Well, Alex, you're smiling. I'm going to say thank you very much for joining us. It's been excellent. Patrick, thank you for joining us as well. Say to our viewers and listeners, as always, if you're feeling this is very hard to deal with, make sure you get out and about. Walk the dog, although stay away from your dog because it might have COVID, according to the British government. And uh, keep the humour up because this is a very important thing. We'll end there. No extra time today. Uh, we're going to say a big thank you to Stephanie for making this happen. Uh, it's been truly excellent. few little gremlins in the background have made us smile. The viewers couldn't see uh, uh, some of the odd uh, little things happening. Leads not working, but this is due to bugs. And um, we'll be back at the same time on Monday. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.